The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ROSS. That's code ROSS for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. If you'd like to make your NFL games a little more interesting, you've come to the right place. It's the Even Money Podcast with Ross Tucker and Steve Fezzik. Yeah, Vegas, baby, Vegas. It is the Even Money Podcast. And if you're looking for a place to make your online wagers, you know where to go. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Use the promo code PODCAST1 to get a 50% sign-up bonus today. I am Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman, five teams, seven years, Redskins, Cowboys, Bills, Patriots, Browns, don't really count the Browns, but I was there. Uh, Five teams, seven years, now five podcasts, Ross Tucker football podcast, fantasy feast for the fantasy dudes. We've got the college draft podcast, getting you ready for the draft. The Business of Sports podcast, which I highly encourage you to listen to this week, where Andrew Brandt and I went back and forth on the proposed CBA. You can also, uh, of course, listen to this podcast, the Even Money podcast. He is the star. His name is Steve Fezzik, the only two-time winner of the Super Bowl professional football gambling, the Super Contest at the Westgate Casino out there in Vegas. He can be followed at Fezzik Sports and only at Fezzik Sports. And we had a pretty good week last week betting the XFL. So we're going to talk XFL again this week. We'll get into some of these NBA future stuff, college basketball conference tournaments. And how about some of your questions that we hadn't had a chance to get to? Let's dive in, Steve. Last week, we did pretty well with the XFL. Now, I want to make a point here that these are not necessarily official plays like we have during the NFL season. I'm not asking the Birdman, at L Birdman, Todd Bergman, to go ahead and grade us on these. Just kind of something fun that we are dabbling in on the side here. But I know from following you on Twitter, Steve, at Fezzik Sports, that the XFL continues to be good to you. Absolutely ridiculously good to the tune of 9-0-1. And, and i got to tell you, Ross, that kind of an impromptu decision to talk XFL with Evan Silva and pretty much I think everything we agreed on won last week. So I am loving the XFL. So 
it's pretty unbelievable. What are the what are the limits out there on XFL games? Totals are five hundred dollars at most books, and sides are a thousand dollars. And frankly, those limits are low enough that the big big betting syndicates, and they're out there. I used to be a part of a betting syndicate about though it's been twelve years now. So it can be anywhere from like four to twelve guys all working together. But the problem is, think about that. If you've got 10 guys all working and the limit's $1,000 in a book, that's $100 on average per person. It's just not big enough to justify the time spent handicapping these lesser sports. And because of that, you're not competing against the big betting syndicates because they pretty much just ignore these minor sports. Got it. All right. Well, last week... I, you know, I don't have we're, since we're not grading them. I don't remember what all your bets were, Steve. But I'll tell you mine. I liked Seattle getting 13 points from Houston. I didn't think that PJ Walker and Houston was playing quite as well. And I thought that when Seattle put BJ Daniels in the quarterback, they played better. That won cash for me. They were getting 13. Houston won. Houston's still playing well, but the final score is 32 to 23. So Seattle ended up coming through for me there, getting the 13 points. Did you have a play there or a thought on that game? Yeah, we liked the over in that game, and a big part of it was, you know, Houston's a dead not over team. If you think about Houston, they're kind of the Kansas City Chiefs of the XFL. They can fall behind, they'll come right roaring back. They've got a great offense, they throw all the time. And they had a game against Dallas the week before that went under, but there was 20-mile-an-hour wins. And we also discussed how the unders had been so prevalent in the XFL that we felt that scoring was going to pick up. So that was one of the games we expected a high-scoring game, and it did indeed fly over the 46. Then you get to New York against Dallas. I didn't understand why New York was getting 7.5 points, especially with Landry Jones out for a couple of weeks. So I went ahead and I took New York getting seven and a half points and they won 30 to 12, Steve. Yeah. Philip Nelson is the backup quarterback for Landry Jones. And I got to be honest, Landry Jones has been pretty darn awful this year, but uh, Nelson, he just cannot play a lick at all. And while he's quarterback, I don't think you can back Dallas. Let's get to St. Louis and DC. This was the one I got wrong. I had St. Louis laying two and a half to D.C. because D.C. had really been struggling, especially at quarterback. And St. Louis with Tiamu had been playing well. D.C. benches Cardell Jones early in this game. They only score 15 points, but D.C.'s defense was awesome. I watched pretty much that entire game. Tiamu, they just could not get it going for St. Louis. D.C. wins 15-6, to and I lost laying those two-and-a-half points. Yeah, D.C., their defense has been struggling all year. You know, home-road dichotomy. D.C.'s played so much better at home, and that's been true of a lot of the XFL teams. We felt like there'd be only a small home field advantage, but that has not been the case. Home teams have really benefited. A lot of that, I think, is because the travel is not nearly as smooth, but that D.C. defense coming up big with a goal line stand late in the game as well, and uh, shocking that they were able to limit St. Louis as much as they did. 
Then the last game was L.A. against Tampa Bay. L.A. was laying one. I liked L.A. laying one in that game. Josh Johnson seems to be one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the league. By far the highest scoring game so far as L.A. wins the Sunday nighter 41-34. to And this was one of my biggest bets of the XFL year. I did bet L.A. I thought that that late start time, 6 p.m. Pacific, really benefited the West Coast team. A lot of travel for Tampa Bay. And ultimately, we saw that L.A. got down 20-3 to and came roaring back. Maybe I think it was 24-3. to doesn't matter. Got down big time. And the over in that game just was a, a bad number. The bookmakers put up 40. It closed 43. Both offenses very undervalued. Um, Josh Johnson missed week one, and L.A.'s offense was awful at, at New York. And since he's gotten back, he's gotten better each week. And Tampa Bay's offense was awful the first two weeks when Mark Tressman was calling the plays. And since he relieved his duties to the offensive coordinator, Tampa's offense has been under Cornelius has been much, much better. So that over went over at halftime when they already had 44 points. I would be remiss, Ross, not to mention something. That game had Tampa Bay trailing by eight with three minutes to play. They just scored a touchdown, and they went for a one-point conversion from the two-yard line. Now, I've been criticized for being overly nitpicky about game management and the like, but this was truly as horrific a decision as you could ever make to go for a one-point conversion when down eight without going into all the nitty-gritty and the details of it. You absolutely have to go for two. You could even go for three, but you cannot go for one. And the best evidence I can give everyone is that imagine you're the team that's up by eight points. What do you not want your opponent to do? And that's to go for two there, because if they get it, then all of a sudden you have a six-point lead and another touchdown, and you're really up against it. Even if they get the one-point conversion, now you're still up seven and you're still winning, essentially. You still have a better than 50% chance to win if you're the team that's ahead and gives up a touchdown. It's just wrong on so many levels, including um, the fact that um, even if you get it and you go down seven, if your opponent kicks a field goal, you're dead now, down 10. I just can't believe in multi-million dollar industries like this, you still have coaching decisions that, frankly, a sharp fifth grader could do better. This week, we've got Tampa... Tampa Bay getting three from St. Louis. I got to tell you, I don't like the board or like the games as much this week as I did last week. Uh, but I kind of like Tampa getting three points from St. Louis. St. Louis did not look good against D.C. at all. Um, I mean, they got beat up really up front both sides of the ball. Meanwhile, Tampa, you said it, their offense is kind of turning on a little bit. I kind of like them getting the three points against St. Louis. Yeah, now having said this, I haven't been able to go through all the injury reports. It's only Tuesday, so I just have leans on this podcast, but I would lean to Tampa right now, and a big part of it, like I said, is how often do I have to see that anyone traveling any distance has struggled in this league, and Tampa, that offense has gotten so much better since weeks one and two, so I would only look towards Tampa, yes. Then you've got New York and Houston I think I would probably lean towards New York and the points, six and a half points. I know Houston's good, but they're going to lose at some point. New York's been on a roll here, and I think I'd rather take the six and a half points. Right now I'm passing the game. I got to tell you, New York's three and two. I think New York is 
horrific. I think they're an awful, awful team that has just gotten dealt so many good situations, including week one um, when they were hosting L.A. And they New York got to go ahead and host a game. Uh, I'm sorry, that wasn't week one, but L.A. had played three warm games in a row, and then they had to go to cold-weather New York, and that's why New York beat them 17-14 to when the whole L.A. team acted like 35 degrees was like the Arctic tundra. I don't like Perez at quarterback for New York at all. Um, At some point, that bad New York offense is going to doom them, and Houston's going to get their points. So Houston or nothing in that game. L.A. is laying two and a half to Seattle. I kind of like L.A. I know what you talked about in terms of home field advantage, but I just like what I'm seeing from Josh Johnson right now. Again, it's a slight lean to L.A., not much of one. But, again, if you're looking for my opinion on if I had to bet who it would be, it would be L.A. But I don't feel great about uh, any of these games other than Tampa getting the three from St. Louis. And right now I'd lean to L.A. I would lean to the over. That L.A. offense has just been clicking. And I would like to get Nelson Spruce, the really good wide receiver, receiver back he's been out the last two weeks when he comes back that LA offense is just going to be awesome I don't think he's coming back this week I do know the weather doesn't look so good in Seattle I know it's going to be cold there and LA has had one cold game and they just stunk on offense when they traveled to New York and that's what's keeping me off LA and the over right now before we get into some of this college basketball stuff and maybe even any NBA futures thoughts you have Steve I did want to make sure you had the opportunity to tell all of our listeners about the underwear that you've been raving about. I will do that in one second. I want to mention we do have one more XFL game on Sunday, Dallas against the D.C. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry, Steve. I missed it. I missed it. I'll take D.C. uh, laying the four and a half because Dallas is horrendous right now. I don't really love this game. But if I had to, with the way D.C.'s defense is playing, I'd lay the four and a half. But that's probably my least favorite game. Yeah, I'm passing this game. I'm, 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 I firmly believe that if you blindly bet overs, you're going to hit more than 50% of your games. But I want no part of this over. Uh, that Dallas offense is just completely compromised with Nelson at quarterback. And I don't trust D.C. to come up with another good performance. They've been so hot and cold. I, w- I am going to go ahead and pass that game. Now, Steve, you can tell everybody about your underwear. Let's talk about Tommy John when it comes to comfort. Down below, there's underwear and there's Tommy John, the revolutionary clothing brand that's redefined comfort for Americans everywhere, including me. To put it simply, Tommy John does not give an F. They give three Fs, fabric, fit, function. They obsess over every little detail and stitch, by using proprietary fabrics that perform like nothing you've ever worn before. As a result, Tommy John's men's and women's underwear sported no wedgie guarantee, comfortable stay-put waistbands, and a range of fabrics that are luxuriously soft, feather, light, and moisture-wicking that's getting more and more important here in Vegas as the weather is, the temperature is going up, up, up. Breathable and designed to move with you, not against you. That means there's no bunching, no riding up, Tommy John is so confident in their underwear that if you don't love your first pair, you can get a full refund with your best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free. Guarantee, 
If you prefer to shop in stores, you can find them in over 1,200 retail locations across the country, including in Nordstrom's nationwide. Tommy John, no adjustment needed. Give three Fs about your underwear and upgrade with Tommy John today. Hurry to TommyJohn.com slash evenmoney for 20% off your first order. That's TommyJohn.com slash evenmoney, 20% off, Ross. Nice. I love 20% off. I also love when you get fired up on Twitter, Steve, at Fezzik Sports, and you're getting fired up about some of these comments people are making about these college basketball conference tournaments. I wanted to give you the floor. Oh, absolutely. This is the time that every media, put it in quotes, expert, starts picking about the, talking about the great value in the NCAA tournament. Oh, Penn State, they can win the tournament. Ohio State can win the tournament. I can't believe I'm getting 50 to 1 on, on these teams. What great value. No, there's no, no great value taking 50 to 1. If you actually write down the percent chance of each team to win the tournament. Remember, there's 64 teams. So a little, I'm sorry, 68 teams. So each team, on average, has less than a 2% chance. And guess what? You still got the Kansases and the Daytons and the Michigan States, teams that really have much more than a 10% chance when we're talking about Kansas, and other teams with a 10% chance. And the bottom line is, when you allocate these percentages, by the time you get to the number five seeds, Ross, they have less than a 1% chance to win the tournament. So if you're getting 50 to 1 on a team that has – about a half percent chance or a 200 to one shot to win the tournament, that is woefully inadequate to the extent that literally for every dollar you invest on these 50 to one value bets, you're losing 75% of your investment in terms of expectation because that's where the dastardly bookie takes all of his vig. If you blindly bet on the biggest favorites, you, you'll lose, but the house has a small edge on those bets where the house has the enormous bet is on the more or the edge is on the bigger long shot bet. So just don't do it. Don't listen to people telling you to go ahead and bet UCLA to win the tournament or, you know, Texas tech. All these teams are woefully low on the betting odds board versus what they should be. That is not the way to try to make money. So are you talking about the NCAA tourney or the conference tourneys? I'm talking about the NCAA tournament. However, the same principle applies to the conference tourneys because the odds are up on who's going to win all of the big conference tourneys. And, Ross, I can tell you, it is extremely rare that you can find any value on these teams, and here's why. You look at a team that might be attractively – you think it's attractive at 6-1. to However, if you just played that team in each and every game and parlayed the money lines – you can normally engineer a payout that is substantially higher than what you could get if you would just bet that team before the tournament started. So, you know, by example, and where it really kicks in and is extreme is when you're looking at a tournament that has multiple rounds. So you look at the ACC tournament. Here we are in the first round. If you like North Carolina and you're like, hey, they're undervalued, they're 2-8 and eight in close games, they could somehow do this. Instead of betting North Carolina to win the ACC, just take your money and bet on North Carolina to win the first game and then just roll it over each and every game going forward, and you'll make a whole lot more money. 
Yeah, it's interesting. When they say value, what they're really meaning is they just think that that team, that's like a longer shot team that they think has a chance. It's not really value. And I'm an advantage player. My definition of value is when you're making a bet that has a positive expectation. That's good value. And they call that plus EV or plus expected value. And it is certainly the I could make the case in these conference tourneys and in the um, NCAA tournament that none of the bets have value because the underlying vigorous that the household is somewhere around 50% in their betting pools. So every $100 that gets invested, they only return $50 on that 100 or 50 cents on the dollar, which is less than legally. Um, I think it's legally required if you play slot machines and like the casinos return like close to 80% of the money. So it shows what a ridiculous household there is on all of these bets. And there's a reason why all these casinos promote all this stuff. And I even wonder if some of these experts aren't getting kickbacks from some of the casinos recommending some horrendous bets for people to make. All right, let's get to your conference tournament thoughts, though. You usually look at this for people that want to bet it, and you look at it from a motivation standpoint, right? Yes. So let's start with the small conferences first. In general, it is rarely wrong when you get to the semis and the finals to bet unders when you've got two teams that are absolutely they need to win to make the big dance. And that game is so critically important. And it being coupled with it being on a neutral site that's unfamiliar to both the teams that oftentimes you see both teams really struggling to be able to score. And so because of that, and I know today we're taping this on Tuesday, there's four small conference championship games, and I would look under in all four of them, frankly. Now, in the big conferences, which are just getting going right now, motivation is everything. So you look at a team like North Carolina, uh, they got bet, bet up today from minus two and a half up to minus four. And the reason is, what motivation has Carolina had the past month? They, a team with a losing record that has a whole lot of talent, lost a lot of close games. Well, now is their chance to resurrect their season because they are a team with a lot of talent, and certainly they're going to play all out and try to make a run in this tournament. I would say be extremely cautious about matchups where you've got one team that needs to win the conference tourney to get a bid against another team that already has a bid sewn up. We've seen oftentimes that even top teams, Kansas and the like, just not take these conference tourneys nearly as seriously as you would expect them to do because the word's kind of out. Why have a three-day or a four-day run in a conference tournament and wear yourself out means nothing when all that really matters is the, um, the, how you do in the big dance and, you know, one breaking news that just hit, Ross, I wanted to ask you about this because obviously you've got the Ivy League background. The Ivy League just canceled its um, conference tournament because of the coronavirus concerns. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, um, it's disappointing. I, I don't know enough about the coronavirus and the spread of it and how serious it is. Like, you know... I feel like if you look at social media and reports, you, you see all these different things. So I don't know enough about that to comment on it. I do know this. When it comes to the safety of their student-athletes, 
the Ivy League is always going to err on being more safe. Like they're not allowed to have any contact during the season during practice. Like no tackling, no live hitting. I mean, anything they they actually take pride, Steve, in being at the forefront or a pioneer or being the most aggressive in terms of protecting their athletes. I will say this, the Ivy League basketball tournament is a newer thing. I think they started it like four or five years ago. It's awesome. You know, they take the four best teams. They play semifinals on Saturday, championship Sunday. I loved it. I went to it the one year when Princeton won it. Princeton was going to be one of the four, you know. So now those guys that thought they'd get a chance to be able to win two games and get to the NCAA tournament, they can't. Same with Harvard. Same with, I'm not sure, the other team, Yale, Gets the automatic bid, which, by the way, is the way it used to be. And frankly, you know, Yale's been the best team all year. Uh, they're they're in first place by a couple games, so they probably deserve it. It just it it's got to be a bitter pill to the other teams that thought they would be in the tournament that no longer get that chance. I mean, they really thought, hey, that that's the beauty of these tournaments, or the negative, right? Is we still have that. We still have a chance. Maybe we can do it, but that's not the case. So Yale, Harvard, Princeton, and Penn would have been the ones. Um, and I guess you know Yale's eleven and three, Harvard's ten and four. So there's only a one game difference. Princeton's nine and five. So Yale's the best team, but I still would be very, very frustrated if I was. Um, Harvard, Princeton, or Penn guys that don't get the chance to to make the tournament. And what was shocking to me is I understand concerns. So you you don't have to have any spectators. Just play it and play it in a smaller venue, and just don't have any um, you know fans attend. But don't take away the kids' opportunity. Would be my opinion. I I agree. How do you not play the How do you not play the games? Just don't have any spectators there. Still have them on TV and give them the opportunity. I mean, this seems very, very extreme. I think because they've only had the tournament so many years, they felt more comfortable doing this. But And you know what happens now? What happens now, Steve, is that other conferences feel pressure. It's like, oh... You don't, you know, it's like it's like when when one cancels it, then I think at times it's like a uh, a waterfall, if you will, a snowball going downhill. Where others are like, uh oh, maybe we should do that. Maybe we need to do that. The Ivy League's doing it. Blah blah blah. And so we'll see. Um, I'm sure that they have experts that told them that they thought that was a good idea. Speaking of experts, Steve, we've got people that want your expert opinion. I thought this was an interesting question. We, do, we don't do it as often as we should, but we do it, we'll do it more in the offseason. If you guys take advantage of any of our sponsors, Tommy John, Bet Online, any of the sponsors over at RossTucker.com, you can ask me and Steve any question you have. This comes to us from Bob Blake. He said, hey, guys, great podcast. Never miss an episode. I'm wondering what your opinion of the XFL is so far. 
and who you think would win if the best team in the XFL played the 2019 LSU Tigers and why? Wow, is that a difficult question. I'm really not sure, Russ. The, obviously, Joe Burrow is going to be the best quarterback out there, and the best players on LSU are going to go play in the NFL. And that means they're better than the best players on the XFL team. So having said that, you know, as crazy as it sounds, I'd lean towards LSU. But then if you look at the line and, you know, you know that level of play there, and even like the kickers, the 33rd best kicker doesn't play for an NFL team. He plays for an XFL team because everyone, all the NFL teams carry one kicker. So in terms of depth and the like, certainly I think that um, LSU wouldn't be able to push around the, an XFL team, but I think that the advantage that the skill position players would point me towards LSU and, of course, Burrow being so good. You know, I'm not sure about this. I know that the worst NFL team would beat the best college team by a significant amount. This is a little bit different. Um, I'd like to see – I'd still lean XFL. I know that the LSU team is great, and it's going to be a, a lot of high draft picks. But most of the guys in the XFL, you know, they've started uh, – you know, the quarterbacks like Josh Johnson or Landry Jones, they've started NFL games at quarterback. You know, they're in their mid to late 20s. And so they've really sharpened their skills more. You know, they've been in NFL training camps. They've been in NFL preseason games. So I would lean XFL, but I really don't know. And I'd be fascinated to see. I, I, I'd, I'd bet on an XFL. Like, I'd bet on Houston over LSU. But because LSU and those guys have been playing together for years and in that system, and these XFL guys all just kind of come together, um, I'd be fascinated by it. I really would. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if LSU won. That would be awesome. If they could figure out how to do that, that, and, and, and do, that would be awesome. I agree, and they used to have the college All-Stars playing against the, uh, the NFL Super Bowl winner. That was a long, long time ago. Excellent work, Steve, as always. And like I always say, if you haven't already, check out the Fantasy Feast podcast yesterday with Joe Dolan. We did a little free agency preview, which was fun. The Ross Tucker football podcast today with Andrew Brandt, extremely informative, especially with this CBA stuff going on. Remember to send in any emails. You want Steve to answer some of your questions Take advantage of any of our sponsors like Tommy John or like betonline.ag or any of them over at rostucker.com on the sponsor tab. And you can ask me any question you would like. Other than that, I think we're done here. Good luck, everybody. Hope you win some money. Thanks for listening to the Even Money Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, the Fantasy Feast, Business of Sports, and the College Draft. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found.